series. We continue with our series on love, love, love. Today we're looking at loving others or love others. Last week, Catherine did a brilliant job talking about how God has loved us into His family. And there were a few things we said which I think bear repeating. And so uh, I'm going to talk about a few points she raised in her sermon that we've been loved into God's family unconditionally. God comes to us and it's not based on what we have done. It's not a performance-based relationship. He comes to us and He loves us because of who He is. God is love. He doesn't have it. He is. So He loves us into His family. It's important we remember this because it's going to underline what we're talking about today. God has loved us and it's important we remember this because it is the place of freedom. It is the place of liberation. Our true worth comes from what God says about us. And if the one who matters, i.e. God, affirms you, He's put His stamp on you, and He's put His seal on you, you're in. You're in. That's all that matters. If people don't affirm you, you can ignore them. Because the one who matters, God says, I affirm you. I put my seal on you and enjoy your life. I need to press this point because you may be in a good place or not so good a place. That doesn't determine how much or how less God loves you. God loves, God's love towards you doesn't change. It's the same. He comes to us because of who He is. So as we look at our talk today, it's important we bear this in mind. Because unless we, we get this, unless we understand this relationship we have with God that is based on His goodness, we will struggle in many different aspects of our Christian walk. It is important we get the foundation right. It sets the basis of our relationship with God through Christ. And in fact, in many other areas of our walk as Christians, knowing that God affirms us, I dare say, is half the battle won. God comes to us and He says, I love you, even if it kills you. Why does God tell us or commands us or reminds us to love others because it's not something that comes to us easily. Outside of God, all we have is human love, which can go so far and give up. Human love is attracted to whatever I define as beautiful, attractive, gorgeous. So if you meet my definition of beautiful, I love you. If you don't, I'll pack it to one side. Now the danger there is, if you cease to meet my definition, 
I have to set you aside again. So you have to keep striving to meet my definition of what love, gorgeous, beautiful is, humanly speaking. And not only that, the moment I change my definition of what love is for me, because we do go through changes, what may be beautiful to you today, in a week's time may not be beautiful, you may change your definition. So we're constantly struggling to meet the definitions that people have for what is beautiful, attractive, or gorgeous to them. That is human love. It's very fickle. Keep changing. I want to trust God's love because it's constant. A little over 50 years ago, this British band called The Beatles released a very popular song they called Love, Love, Love. And it's interesting because if you look at the lyrics of the song, they talk about the boundless, boundless, limitless possibilities open to humanity that we can achieve anything. And the only thing standing between us and what we could achieve or can achieve is love. But there is a problem. They don't tell us what kind of love they're talking about or where to get it from. So they were onto something, but the prescription was not good. So we're going to go into our Bibles today and see what God says about loving others. And I'll text, and I'll say this, if you missed Catherine's teaching last week, I would encourage you to go back, log on to our, our website, and listen to it. It sets you up for what we're going to talk about. It is important you listen to it if you missed it. Because if you don't understand or you don't grab or grasp this first part of God loving us into his family, what we're talking about may be a bit jumbled up in your head. Our text today is taken from 1 John, by a continuation of where Catherine started. 1 John, chapter 3, reading from verses 11 to 24. A fairly long page, but we'll stick with it. And I'm reading from the new international version. I mean, the text, will, the words will come on the screen. But just track with me. And I read. For this is the passage, this is the message you heard from the beginning. What did we hear? We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for others. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters 
If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Verse 20. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his command, we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Shall we pray? Jesus, we thank you that you are the word that became flesh. We ask that you speak to us. And I pray that our text Today will not just be ink on a paper, but you will cause it to come alive to us. Speak to us, I ask. In your name we pray. Amen. Quite interesting because John straight away goes ahead and tells us how not to love. How not to love. You cannot be in God's family, according to him, and hate. And he goes all the way to the beginning in Genesis 4 and picks the story of Cain and Abel. It's one of these Bible stories which sometimes get told in Sunday school and the meaning is sometimes lost because as you tell things to children, you try to break it down to their level. So what is the story of these two boys? I remember back in Sunday school, we were told these two boys came to God. They approached God, you know, in, in, in worship. And one brother, Abel, came with very wonderful stuff to offer to God. And Cain, his brother, came with rotten tomato, rotten pepper, rotten garden eggs. That's what we're told. So we grew up believing that. It's still, it's still with me today. But that is not the story. That is not the story. Genesis 4 doesn't really tell us why God reject, rejected Cain's offering. You have to fast forward to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, which talks about the heroes of faith. And there we're told why God rejected his offering. And if I can just read quickly verse 4 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a better, a better sacrifice than Cain's, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he's dead, he still speaks. So the rejection of Cain's offering 
was because he didn't make a sweet faith. Two brothers come to God. Abel came trusting God. He put his love with God. Cain came trying to earn his way to God. And God said, away with your offering. So John says, he was not God in the first place. Cain outwardly believed God. But his later action in slaying his brother revealed that he did not really belong to God from the start. And John drives this argument forward, saying, if you come into faith and you belong into God's family and hate your brother, then he puts a big question mark about your conversion. And this is the way some of the early apostles argue in their letters to believers. A classic example is in the book of James, where James, a book which calls believers to authentic Christian living, tries to draw a correlation or a connection between being a, being a follower of Jesus and what corresponding behavior needs to go with that perfection. And it's in that book that we find this very popular saying that faith without words is dead. Now what does that mean? Faith without words is dead. That to him is evidence of your new birth. Because if you have faith there is a corresponding action that needs to go with it. So James argues, if you have faith in God, you don't do X, Y, Z, or you do A, B, C. That is the connection with God. So he goes on to say, in James chapter 2, if we can go to that part now. James chapter 2, he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Literally saying, you show me your faith without a corresponding deeds, and I will prove what I believe in me by my actions. So there is that connection they kept drawing. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and God having come, come to take residence in you and be a hater. The two don't go together. And that is John's argument. So he, he drives the point. If you hate your brother as a believer, then maybe eternal life hasn't come and taken residence in you. He questions your born again your transition from death to life. He questions that. In John 13, Jesus commands us to love one another. And this is what 
when we make a decision to follow him, he comes in and he pours his, his life into us. And then we are ready to thank him as fully human, just the way God intended us to thank him. What is the point of this? Because very often we have this gloomy feeling that love must make us into one for three for life. Yes, there is that. But sometimes it comes as inconvenient. You have to sacrifice. In verse 16, John writes, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Most of us here, if not all, probably will not have the opportunity to give our lives as a ransom for others. Jesus did. But the whole point here is love involves. It involves sacrifice. True love is giving your life for others. When Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't say, I'll get you when I come down from the cross. No, he did not. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, he says, by, the, by his stripes, we are healed. Now, what does that mean? Another way of looking at it is, by the wounds we put on Jesus, he agonized through that pain and loved us into hell. That is a sacrifice he has to make to put our broken bodies together. We had communion today, and that really brought back that understanding to me again. By his broken body, by the stripes he bore on his body, he loved us into home. He loved us into hell. So love involves sacrifice. So what is this love? I mean, our English language is relatively limited compared to the ancient Greek, and I want to kind of be controversial here. I don't know why God chose the ancient Greek language to have the New Testament written in the first place. But I will hazard a guess that it's probably because it is, or it was more expansive and more expressive because they had quite a number of words to express the different emotive or different expressions we, we have when we use the word love. Because in the English language we use love for all kinds of different emotions or expressions. You know, you've heard it said, you know, if I say I love pizza, I love my wife, I'm using the same word to explain very different emotions here. I love my car. I love my wife. I'm saying, I'm, I'm feeling two different emotions, but 
I can only use one word to express them. The ancient Greek language had different words. So, for instance, love for family, they called storge, which is a love you see parents really show towards their children. I mean, their children really go off, especially as teenagers. You know, they get to teenage years, and they have their heads in the clouds, don't understand anything, impossible to reason with them that you continue to love them. That is story. Phileo is love between friends. A good example in the Bible is the friendship between Jonathan and David. I understand a city in America, Philadelphia, was named after this brotherly love. That's why it's nicknamed, Philadelphia that is, it's nicknamed the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. Philadelphia, Phileo, love between friends. Eros, romantic love. We got our word erotica, erotica from Eros. And then finally, we have agape, which is God's love. Now, all three, all the, all the above three, cannot do much hollering to them unless they are embedded in God's love. God's love is what drives and sustains Storge, Phileo, and Eros. Otherwise, they will go on their own a short distance and self-destruct. God's love is what comes in and causes us to keep going, even when it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Jesus, 100% innocent, takes the place of the guilty. When you say this to people out there in the world, they say to you, it makes no sense. No, it makes no sense, but it makes sense to God. That's God's goodness, being a friend in that way. Verse 17, John goes on to give us practical ways to love. Verse 17 of John, he says, if you have the world's goods and do not share. And very often when we read that passage, you have the world's goods, you must be very rich. No, it's not just about rich people. It's not the Bill Gates of this world or um, who's this other rich guy? Zuckerberg or whoever. The rich people, in, no. It's to do with all of us. Whatever you have, God says, share. Share with someone. Share with someone. That's love in action. That's love in action. Love sometimes causes us discomfort. It causes us something. To put petrol in your car and drive and visit someone in prison, in hospital, it costs you something. And the encouragement is for our actions to do the talking more than our words. C.S. Lewis, 
that great theologian and Christian apologist have this to say, one of his quotes. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And what does he mean? If you live in this world, you will be inconvenienced as you show your love. It inconveniences God. When God said, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. One of the first Bible verses I memorized. I didn't think it was going to involve a gruesome murder of the Son of God. But he died to save us. So what C.S. Lewis is saying is, it costs you something to love. It costs you something. Human love very often tends to drift towards where there is comfort. No. God sometimes would will thrust you into situations where it causes you discomfort. And Jesus doesn't just end there. In Matthew 5, he commands us to love even our enemies. He said, you have heard that it it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And finally, with this I close. This is an extract from... Martin Luther King's Luther King Jr.'s book, Strength to Love. It's 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 the putting together of most of his sermons. And in one of the sermons he said, Probably no admonition of Jesus has been more difficult to follow than the command to love our enemies. Some people have sincerely felt that its actual practice is not possible. It is easy, they say, to love those who love you. But how can, you, how can one love those who openly and insidiously seek to defeat you? How do you love a person like that? People who are openly hostile to you. But the truth is, loving our enemies is essential for our survival. It is essential for the survival of this of, of us humanity. And Jesus encourages us to go even further to loving our enemies. Human love cannot do that. And that is why it's important when we feel this, the going very difficult that we pull up to the to the forecourt of the petrol station, like Moses prayed and asked God to pour, to fill us once again with his loving kindness. Because you do, your battery sometimes can go flat. Okay? And then back to the book of, of Luther King. He says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate 
adding deeper darkness to a night devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And that is so true. It is not difficult. It is impossible without God. And whilst preparing for this message, I mean, three groups came to my mind. For some of us, it is increasingly difficult in our relationship with people. It could even be in the area of marriage where you're struggling to get, to get along with your spouse. This is a good time to pull up to the forecourt again and ask God to pour into you. We come to God, batteries not included. Ask God to charge your batteries again. Ask God to do it. 